Hello and welcome to the Rugby Bits podcast. Um, we are going to be talking about the second week of the July Test Series. Um, we have a separate podcast where we talked about the Springboks and we went to depth about the, um, the the second test that they had against Wales. So this is a, an additional bonus pod to discuss the other test matches. Um, please um, subscribe to the Rugby Bits podcast and wherever you get your podcast. Please like and review our podcast as well. Share it with your world so that we can um, be one of the top rugby podcasts um, in the world um, uh, as well. I've got Sean, I've got Jared. We're going to talk about the All Blacks versus Ireland game. We're going to talk about the Australia versus England game. We're going to talk about all the other test matches that have happened and and cover them as well, but mainly focusing on the first two. So let's start with the New Zealand versus Ireland game. Jared, um, a great win for Ireland. Obviously, there's a lot of controversy that we'll talk about a little bit later, but Let's start with the Irish side of things. Um, there's a lot of heroes in that game, but prob- probably um, the one that I think you'll want to talk about is Peter Omani. I'm not sure if his play or his sledge at Sam Kane was better. Uh, I think that's quite equal standing. Hey, He seems to bring up the best of both when uh, it comes to difficult opposition. I think he had a, quite a similar... Um, Sledge um, when Ireland went to win, uh, win the Grand Slam as well, but uh, he was just immense. Like he, he had one of those performances where it doesn't really show up in the stats as well as it should, but uh, he was just all over the park and everything that he did was just exceptional. There's a quite a nice um, analysis video uh, from um, Bernard Jackman where his, um, his restarts um, value for Ireland was just incredible. The way he was, be- was able to get nice and high in the air with one lift uh, and sort of nullify the All Blacks' uh, impact from restarts. Um, that's kickoff restarts, obviously. But uh, yeah, he was there at the lineouts again. He was causing trouble. He was securing his own ball nicely and just his usual self over the ball as well. I tell you... Um, I- I was wrong when I said that I don't think he starts. Uh, I, I thought he'd be, <laughs> I thought he'd be in the mix, come off the bench. I, I didn't think he had the legs and and whatnot, but he's an absolute warrior. So there's no doubt that he is the the rugby war god, not just the Irish one. I will say something though. Yeah, it's, Peter uh, it's Tom. That's a. Uh... Fits. It's, it's Tom that's dubbed him that the war god. <laughs> yeah. So Peter Mahoney fits very, very, very comfortably into a very small category of player where he is 100% a player you only want playing for your team. And if he doesn't play for your team and he plays against you, you hate him. He's a shit stirrer. He's dirty. He's this, he's that. So he's, he's basically the Rory Cockett, <laughs> you know, like you absolutely hate him. You'd never, ever, ever, ever want him. You think he's the worst of the worst. But if he plays for your side, you're like, I want that man and I want him to captain my team. <laughs> I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there, Sean. <laughs> yeah, look, just I think one note I have for P, for um, Pom's performance was just, you know, with a sledge like that, look, I, I uh, if uh, the people that follow me on Twitter know that <clears throat> I'm, I'm sort of a custodian of fraud watch um, for rugby players. And, you know, if a player has not really been playing to expectation. I, 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 I usually comment on w- what their true value really is. Like recently I was saying that um, Braden Enor, for example, is just um, a, a Canterbury Johan Sardi. So when you make a comparison like um, Peter Omani did about Sam Kane, 
you can't call someone a crap Richie McCaw. A crap Richie McCaw is probably the second best player that Ireland has ever had. You need to go a bit lower <laughs> than that. So you need to call him like a crap Lockenbushier, you know, <clears throat> Marty Holler that is the coach's favorite, like something like that. So just a, a small note for Peter Marnie. I wish um, Matt Todd. <laughs> there we go. You see, you've got you've got this um you've got the 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 spirit of this. So yeah, I mean a small note for Peter Marnie for, for next time. If you 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 need to go lower if you want to offend someone. But yeah, I, I'm sure Sam Kane is now gonna tackle about 83 people um on Saturday. Um Sean, let's just talk about the all black side of things. Um yeah, I think there a lot was masked by that first test performance and by the score in the first test because um, the the All Blacks pretty much scored all their tries from turnovers. In the second test, when the island defensive defense was set and they weren't making as many mistakes, it was very hard for the All Blacks to get through in the game. Yes, I said that the Irish were starstruck going to New Zealand in that first test. Um, they shook that off very quickly. Um, it was a sublime performance. They did. The, the, the great thing is, is they did everything to the All Blacks that we, most people, most pundits and, 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 and sort of people in the game thought would be the right way to upset the All Blacks. And we knew it would be hard, but um, we've had two games that have basically been polar opposites. So I don't really know what we're getting this week, but Ireland came, they came to play. And I'll tell you one thing now that I'm very, very interested in seeing is tomorrow morning, the Irish side, they're, they're playing the Maori. They haven't gone with a big squad. So now they were in a very, they're in a bit of a pickle in how they have to manage and, and, and sort of get players in, get some time and try and rest the guys that they need to rest. So very interesting juggling and, and balancing going on. But flip, Ireland played well. Um, the Lustria was incredible. Josh van der Fleer is has just literally, probably for the last maybe 12 months, has just been stepping it up a level almost each and every month. He just come, raises the bar, raises the bar. He's very, very quickly becoming, becoming irreplaceable for Irish. He's going to be the first name on, on, on the sheet. Um, could, you know, it, it, it's ridiculous how, how well they played and they just completely blew the All Blacks off the ball. Yeah, Sean, I, I heard uh, Josh van der Feer has also worked on his carrying, so you you definitely saw that against the All Blacks. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, 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 think, you, I think you're right that uh, the Irish were sort of caught uh, starstruck in, in the um, first test match, and I think the All Blacks had a plan for them that it was something different the way they played off Aaron Smith, but kudos to the Irish for quickly turning that around and finding a way to nullify that uh, impact of Aaron Smith. I think, I think that was brilliant how they did it. And uh, yeah, overall, the, the Irish just kept the, the tempo right up there. And yeah, if it hadn't been for Will Jordan and uh, his nipping of the heels at Doug Harlett, um, Ireland would have been the top-ranked side in world rugby today. Yeah, I think... Also, we haven't mentioned the third um, party in that loose cheer, and that's Caelan Doris, who was amazing on Saturday. Um, I think it was even better than his performance in November in Dublin against the All Blacks. Um, just the carrying was strong. The, you know, he had a, a, an ankle tap tackle on Jordy Barrett where he stopped a certain try. And, you know, 
I don't know. That was the test match, eh? I think so. That, that for me, was the test match. Because Jordy Barrett had quite quickly and easily created a two-on-one. I think he had Reese on his right. I think that's a try for the All Blacks. That tap tackle by Kalen Doris was literally the test match and probably the series win. One tiny, minuscule moment. And it was a diving, despairing tap tack, and Jordy Barrett didn't see it coming. Ankle taps are the worst, man. It just it hits you blindside. You're gone, man. It's like a sniper. Yeah, so amazing performance from him. And I think even, you know, Jared, I'll go back to you with this. Um, yeah, look, it's tough being Ian Foster. I mean, I don't think he's really helped himself. I think there is something that he is seem he does seem to be cooking with the attacking structure. I mean, I think everyone has watched and the people listening have watched the Squid Rugby um video on the All Blacks attacking structure and how they're playing off Aaron Smith. So I think there is some structure to the All Blacks game, which was sorely missing the last two years. Um, but, you know, he's obviously getting a lot of flack and the captain, Sam Kane, is getting a lot of flack, which I think is unjustified because he was probably the only or one of the few All Blacks that was standing up in defense when Ireland was just, you know, going all guns blazing into the try line in the first half. Yeah, Sam Kane definitely was a shit Richie McCaw on the weekend. Like, uh, if Richie McCaw had a bad game, like a mildly bad game, that would have been what Sam Kane produced, which is, sounds terrible, but it, it really isn't so. Like, Sam Kane, I thought, had a great game. He's still incredibly important to that uh, all-black setup. A lot of people don't see it. It's sort of in the same situation where Sia Khaleesi was in his first year of captaincy, where a lot of people believed he shouldn't have been in the team. And he's still, uh, some people still believe that. But uh, yeah, Kane will put in another big performance and then all of a sudden he'll be a world-class flanker again. But yeah, I, I think Ireland did so many good things to stop the All Blacks from doing what they do well. Like... Uh, it was quite early on, but James Ryan like claimed a clean line-out steal off of the All Blacks. And the All Blacks, any kind of situation where they can pounce from and it's organized, it's... I think we've lost Jared there. Um, Sean, just talking about what Ireland did well, um, I think there's two... Uh, I think we've lost Jared to load shedding, unfortunately. So it's just um, Sean and I, um, for the, for the rest of it, I think there's two things that Ireland did really well. Um, number one, their attack. I mean, I think we've talked about the Leinster slash Ireland attacking pattern. You know, you have your Johnny Sexton loops. You have your, um, you have all these runners going everywhere. You have forwards being di- like just passing out of contact. You have, you know, there's so much to look out for. And I think there were certain times, especially when New Zealand went down a guy or two or should have been three, that it wasn't that New Zealand was defending badly because they had a really high tackle percentage considering they were playing most of the game with 14 men um, of 90%. But it was just that with so many people running different directions and screening um, running lines and all that sort of stuff and overs and unders all over the place that some players just got lost. And I think especially in the midfield, um, Quintupaya, but more, more to an extent, <laughs> you'll love this, but more Amrika Yuani and Lester Fanganuku like when Leicester had to come into the midfield when um, Quintupai was on the flank in scrums, that it just seemed to lose the All Blacks as to who's coming where, where they're coming from, um, who, who to watch when, when, the, when the Irish have the ball. It's, I think the Irish are the best 
team in the world when it comes to pl- having the ball for like multiple phases. They're the one team I can trust. If you need to score a try in like 10 phases, they can do it. Exactly. You remember when that used to be New Zealand as well, eh? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I thought the midfield was was incredible. Um, I, I do want to say, though, when Bundy Aki came on, like he totally enhanced that midfield as well. He was an absolute beast. Um, really, really, I was super impressed with with the Irish midfield. But Bundy, I thought deserved um, deserved a hell of a, a hell of a lot of um, of a hat tip, well, more hat tips than than maybe what he's getting. The the thing is, is I really haven't quite understood why the All Blacks haven't put in Tuivasa Shek yet, especially this week. I thought they would have needed him. I think they need a big guy coming through there. And they, it just wasn't working for the All Blacks in the midfield. And I'm actually going to defend Rico a little bit here. And I think that his performance was 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 probably because of what was happening inside. And obviously there was a hell of a lot happening in front of both of them. And you've got to, you, your guys have to be telepathic. If, if Ireland are playing in that way, your midfield needs to have 10, 15 tests together. They need to be calm. They need to be able to think a little bit quicker. They need to manage the situation a little bit better and they need to scramble the hell out of things. And I think that's where that they struggled. So obviously Rico, Mastering his 13 role has definitely influenced it. I think, however, the biggest problem was possibly a 12. Um, and then so much chopping and changing. Uh, the, the the Irish midfield changed. The all-black midfield changed. Um, all-blacks were down a man. So Rico was trying to like sort of scramble and cover. He's got, he, he knows he's got the speed. So he's possibly playing knowing that if something happens, he can chase someone down. Yeah, um, so exactly. it's quite a, um, it, it, yeah. And, and that's the thing is like, we had it when, um, I think you, you'll find that we had like with John de Villiers, when he was playing 13, when, or when he was playing 12 and he wasn't trusting anyone inside, he was kind of caught in no man's land more often than, than, than he should have. When, when he was chopping and changing around a lot with the stormers and with the Springboks, And I think that's possibly what's happened. And that's coincided with the fact that Ireland absolutely hit their straps. So it's been, yeah, it was a tough one. I think Ireland, I don't think, the All Blacks were to blame. I think it's a very much a case of Ireland were just flipping off the charts. Yeah, and then we've talked about it, but the other big thing was just Ireland's defense gave the All Blacks nothing. And you can just check with the tech, ta- tackle stats. I nearly said that in a New Zealand accent, tackle stats. But Ireland had... <laughs> well played. They had... Um, uh, 180 <laughs> tackles to make on the All Blacks, um, and they made 92 percent of them. And each one of their forwards, um, their starting forwards, all had over 10 tackles. So it just shows you how busy they were. Bundy Arki came onto the game in the, like in the middle of the first half. He made eight tackles. Henshaw made 10 tackles. Sexton made eight tackles. Like everyone was just so busy um, during that game. So amazing game mm-hmm. from from the Irish. Let's talk about some cards and the controversy around um, the yellow reds, the number of players and everything that happened. I mean, that first half, I was watching it on Sunday and it was the most eventful first or one of the most eventful first halves I've seen in a long time. You had everything. You had 
you know, a, a penalty try that should have been a penalty try, a stonewall red card, a yellow card that some people are arguing is a red card or just a rugby incident. You had 15 men on the field, 14 men, 13 men, should have been 12 men. You had Island not um, calling for the scrum immediately when it was uncontested, uncontested scrums. Like, there was so much that was happening. Sean, let's start, I think let's start with um, the numbers controversy. So there's a nice, um, I think this was posted after the Italy Island game where Italy had um, pretty similar circumstance to the All Blacks of one, well, they had one hooker injured and the other hooker red carded. So that meant that they also had to go to uncontested scrums and lose another player. So then they had to play with 13 for the game. So the All Blacks had one prop yellow carded and the same and then a, another tight head prop red carded which actually meant they should have played with 12 men. But um, this was just something that was missed by the fourth official. So they played with 13 men. And then when um, Tunga Fassi comes back on, Adi Savir and Dalton Papali also come back on um, to switch with Aiden Ross, who came on for the uncontested scrums. And now they came on with 15 men and they're actually supposed to be 14. So a lot of confusion, a lot to break down there, short. But it seems like the... Yeah, everyone got it wrong from the officials to the All Blacks um, management for putting in the wrong number of players to them maybe subbing off the wrong um, or maybe being unlucky or subbing off the wrong um, loose forward at the wrong time because they had to lose Adi Severe for the rest of the game to the Irish team for not noticing this and trying to get another player off the field when, when it was appropriate. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to... I'm gonna sort of break down each of, of what had happened. Um, so firstly, I don't think the All Blacks made one mistake in this situation. I think they chanced their arm and they got away with it and then they didn't get away with it and then they were uh, punished almost unfairly. So we go to the first one. That first yellow card for that early tackle on Gary Ringrose. Uh, Johnny Sexton's running down the left-hand side. He's tackled by Aaron Smith. Uh, Jordy Barrett's coming in um, to take on that contact. Gary Ringrose is there in support, and Tonga Fassi tackles him early. People were asking for a, a yellow card or possibly a red, but a yellow card and a penalty try. For me, that at, at most is a yellow card and possibly only a penalty for an off-the-ball tackle because Johnny Sexton doesn't actually pass the ball. And... That is vital for me. I think the officials got it horribly wrong. If if they said that it was an early tackle and he was in with a chance to score, that the probability of Ringrose scoring there was was pretty good. So I think that should have been a penalty try. So I think the officials really duffed that whole situation. So that now means that they're down a prop. So Angus Taavo comes on and they take Dalton Popali off. A few minutes later, um, Ringrose cuts inside. And Angus Tava hits him really well, hits him high in terms of a head on head contact. Um, the officials rule that it's a red card. I agree with it. Uh, we all know players and non players who played the game when a guy cuts inside, it wasn't even a step inside, he was just taking a switch. But you've got to change your direction as a defender. You can't drop your height, like it's physically impossible to do it. So people are trying to use that, fans are trying to use that as an excuse as it wasn't his fault and whatever. But the truth is, is it. it all went wrong. It, it's not a rugby incident. It is a rugby incident. However, it's still head on head and it was pretty significant. So it's a red card. The law states that if 
a temporary player, which Angus Tavau was. He was a temporary player on the field because it had to be a front row replacement. If a temporary player is sent off, the player that subbed him is actually red carded, which means that Dalton Papali'i should have stayed off the rest of the game, not Adi Savir. Now that is where the officials got it wrong. Not the, not the all black coaches. The all black coaches try to push all, both Dalton and Adi on. Fair enough. But uh, they made a mistake with that. Then when that red card happened, and I, I, I'm, I am, I'm livid by this and I'm, and I'm going to, I'm going to have a go at the Irish management and the, and, and, and the Sextons and um, the, the, the furlongs, the, the, the calm heads, the forwards, um, the captains, the, the coaching staff, the forwards coach, all that, all those guys in Ireland, when that red card came, how they did not ask for a scrum first off, I will never know Yeah, because the All Blacks would have had to have gone down to 12 men, which nobody picked up. Now, that is a fourth official situation. I don't blame the referee for that. There was so much shit going on there. But that's a fourth official and an Irish management mistake and, and, and a, a captain player mistake. But let's take the players out of the mix because they were just as heavily involved in all the chaos. Management should have made that call. They should have got for a scrum. And, and the All Blacks would have been down to 12. And the All Blacks would have had to have had eight players in the scrum. So the island was scored. But there's no doubt about it in my mind. And that's a massive, massive, massive error. And the All Blacks, during that whole period of time, did not concede one point. And Ireland were only 10-0 up. And you can say, in hindsight, you know, Irish Ireland won well. But going 10-0, being 10-0 up, having this opportunity to play the All Blacks with 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 12 men um, and you don't, and then you still don't score and then go and concede a yellow card and score at the end to make it 10, seven at half time. You, you're not sitting there going, we know we're going to win comfortably. You're thinking, shit, we missed an opportunity. So I, that is my, my thing on that is I, I don't believe the All Blacks did anything wrong. They tried to maybe bend the rules a little bit, but I think that they were hard done by in terms of Adi Sevier not um, being allowed to return. Everyone's having a go at the coaching staff, but that is absolutely um, a, a, a referee and an official's mistake. And Ireland, for not enforcing or knowing about the 12-man, when they were involved in that game against Italy, they, it was Ireland with the opposition. They know what happened because they were playing. And there was a whole controversy about it and why it's wrong and right. They would have had to have looked at the laws themselves. They no doubt would have spoken about it after the game. I just find it, I find it terrible because... Yes, Ireland won and they won well. But I tell you, you don't ever want to go against the All Blacks, South Africa, France, England, Ireland, anyone, and not know the stuff where it's going to give you a foot up because you don't know when you're going to, when you're going to get points. The All Blacks score at half time. It's 10-7. We've read this book a thousand times before. They come back and they trounce you. And I, I, I know it, it's, it kind of doesn't matter because they ended up winning, but I think that is huge. And I think that there will be some, some hard conversations had around that about whose roles and who's going to understand of how to address it in the future. And I think the big thing is just, I think you see, uh, you're right with this in the sense of obviously not knowing the rules. That's one thing. And especially now you remind me of them, um, being part of the Italy game, they were literally the team that benefited that they should have been more awake to this than any other team in the world, even 
you know, that 18, 90% of fans, <laughs> it seems like even referees don't know this rule. Um, but the other, yeah, got I'm, it's, it's, so I'm going to give you a penalty because it's laws, not rules. <laughs> Sorry. What I am going to say is, do you, do you think for one second you would have got away with something like that if the all blacks were, if the roles were reversed and it was the all blacks? No. I'm going to, I'm going to say a hundred percent. No. Box, I'm going to say 100% The box would never no. have let that happen. Rassi or Jacques would have ran down the stairs themselves to, to talk to the referee about that or to call the scrum. And been banned for six months, but <laughs> they would have got the result. But you will not, you will not get away with something like that against the All Blacks. The All Blacks, they would have, they would have totally played you with twelve men, even if it was for three minutes. You would have played, you would have defended with twelve men, and you would have got your ass handed to you. Yeah, and I think the other thing was just a a, a lack of composure by the Irish with having the man advantage or two man advantage. You know, we saw this with the Ireland versus England game in the Six Nations, remember, that they obviously had um, the one-man advantage for 90% of the game. Um, and Ireland took a long time to break them down. And maybe that's the one fault in their attacking structures, that there's so much complexity that it sometimes doesn't um, – it, it almost makes it too complex to just break down a simple um, one-man advantage or two-man advantage. So they had this like elaborate move um, for James Lowe. And I mean, if James Lowe caught it, he would have scored. But maybe this called for much more simple um, Robbie Henshaw just go into the guts in the first phase and then another part of forwards in the second phase, then go blind or go open um, out wide to your wing type of um, play. They try to do this like elaborate like set piece move and then it didn't work out. And yeah, like as you said, Sean, that could have been the, the the turning point of the test match. I mean, the All Blacks um, are a team that you know <laughs> can do crazy things, especially in New Zealand. So now you're ten seven up only after dominating the first half. After maybe you should have got a penalty try. After you definitely should have scored a try um, in the second half. I mean, sorry, and during the 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 two red and yellow cards. So. You don't capitalize on that. That that's a big thing. But you know, this is not this is not Steve Hansen or Graham Henry's New Zealand. This is Ian Foster. So they're a little bit more forgiving, and the the Irish were still able to to get that win. So that's good for them in terms of confidence. But it's definitely something they need to work on because it's two games where you know the the advantage that they had that they didn't really take full advantage of it as as quick as possible. I mean, New Zealand might be in a bit of a downturn, but they're still probably the most ruthless team um, in the world um, in, in international rugby. They're the team that if they get a half advantage, like we saw last week, they'll score 40, 50 points on you. The last thing, just before mm. we move on, is I know we're talking about on the group is that Leicester Fanganuku yellow card, which also caused a bit of controversy. Yeah. Ugh, I, I tell you, I'm... By law, by law, that's that's probably a red. But I think um, I think if it was a red or a yellow, I think most people could understand which either one it was. I, I find it quite interesting that um, that when the yellow card came, is a uh, came where he's got chats the referee, and paper said if he'd kept his hands up the whole way, it would have been okay. Which I find. Interesting, because that's obviously showing the intent for the charge done. I don't think that he's jumped 
to take Hansen out, um, whether malicious or just to slow him down. I don't think he's done that. I think he's jumped to to charge down and then very quickly realizes that um, that he he's not going to get the ball and then he puts his arms down. So, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of going to sit on the fence with this one. I, I thought a yellow card was probably the right one. Um, but it all depends on which side you're supporting at, at the time. I think, um, you know, a lot of guys were saying that that's CJ Stunder and Pat Lambie, and I don't think so. Uh, I think um, Stunder, I think that was actually a little bit slightly different, you know, um, which I don't know. Maybe, maybe is that my Springbok eyes looking at it differently? I don't know. I just think the. I just don't think it was enough to be a red card, but he did clatter him. He smashed his nose, like he smashed his face. And I also am very interested. Uh, I don't believe that Hansen went off for an HIA after that, which I find quite, quite bizarre. But anyway, that's, that's something completely different. I don't want to dilute what, what we're chatting about. I just think it, it's a, it's, it's a, that is a hundred percent one of those ones where you're like, nah, it could be red. If you got a red, you'd be like, okay, you deserved the red. It was, it was ruled according to the law. And if he gets a yellow, which he did, you could be, you could also think, you know, that was according to the law, which I think is, is what causes so much turmoil and issues with fans is that it's not a clear cut red or yellow. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's it's just such a little bit of a complex thing. And <clears throat> I was listening to the BBC Rugby Live podcast, which has um, Chris Ashton and Ugo Monye, and obviously those are two international wings, and they were on opposite sides with um, looking at this, and they would probably be the two people in the world, or just two of the people in the world that would know what Lester Fanganuka can and cannot do when he's um, trying to chase a kick, and what his body can and can't do when it's in the air. So if they aren't able to really get some consensus on whether it's a rugby incident or something deserving of a yellow or red card, like, oof, this is such a tough position for everyone to be in. Yeah, and um, I was actually listening to uh, Master of None podcast earlier on today, and I, I can't remember who it was, but he made such a great comment. And uh, the comment was, if you're in the air, and you are cannot control you are not controlling your body in terms of that you're not going to take someone out then you you are wrong and i thought that was brilliant it was simple we it's the same as with anything with any other part of the game if you're not in control like when you run people are like when you run and someone gets taken out in the air and they're like but i was watching the ball it, it's irrelevant you didn't you were not in control of taking someone out and they it was dangerous to them. It was detrimental to them. You've got duty of care to look after the opposition. If you do something reckless and it puts them in danger, then it is a penalty and a foul and possibly further further sanction. So I thought that was such a great way of putting it. Like he jumped. It, was, it wasn't a jump. In my eyes, it wasn't a jump to take out Hansen. It was a charge down. It was the rest of that that was a, was a concern. So... Then it kind of asks you answer you you kind of opens up other questions like he's jumping not to make sure he misses hands and he's jumping to get the ball and there's only a specific line you can jump at to get the ball like let's be honest when a guy's kicking you kind of know where he's going and you've got to jump to where you think the ball's going to be because that's where you want to get your hands but the underlying thing was 
once he was in the air, he was not able to control and look after someone else, and therefore it's a foul, which we all agree on. And I, I, it was a simple way of putting it, and it, it basically got to the point of where we all knew, but the way it was said and how it was said was great. The thing that lies there afterwards is how do the officials see it and how do they, is there mitigation, blah, 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 all that sort of stuff. I still think, I mean, I'd, tell, I'd, I'd like to know what you think of what had happened there, but I think from my side, if he got a red card, I could totally understand why I got a red card, but I can also understand why I got a yellow card, and I think that's the issue that we have. But, yeah, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I think, Sean, you're, I think we're pretty much in concert. Like, it's because of the nature of the head contact, um, the only mitigations that you can sort of put on it, and that's how you do these things, the head contact is a dangerous, and then you go to mitigation, is okay, he was jumping for the ball, so he wasn't jumping to jump into him. So, And this was sort of more rugby incident than it was like him obviously trying to chop off his head. So then it's mitigated down to yellow. So I think the refs did well with that. Um, it's a difficult one for Leicester though, and I can sympathize with New Zealand fans that are like, like this is crazy and all that sort of stuff because there's not much else he can do because if Lester did sort of go up with his arms, like um, the ref suggested, like you talked about, there's a world where, you know, a forearm comes into Hansen's face or an elbow or something like that. He was bracing himself to keep himself safe um, by sort of turning his body and putting the shoulder. But it was still, like you said, it was still reckless because it didn't sort of factor in his impact on, you know, the person on the ground that just kicked the kick who's also in a, relatively vulnerable position so i think this is where people need to just come into the party and maybe the reason why the all blacks are shocked at this and maybe the rest of the world aren't is because we've been playing the normal head contact rugby rules for a few years and new zealand and australia especially have just been ignoring those rules um for the last two years <laughs> so this is something that we're used to now these yellow cards and red cards and we're used to the fact that you not sometimes will be a little bit unfair in in like a rugby sense, but the the main thing for rugby is protecting the head. The main thing for rugby is trying to make sure that there's not a big class action against it like there was with the NFL. So you need rules like this that might not make sense in gameplay in a sense, but if you hit someone's head and you are reckless about it, you're gonna get a card. So I have no issues with the decision made by the referee. Mm, great shot. I think let's move on to the England-Australia game. And there's a few um, cards that were quite controversial in that game. Um, Sean, just to start, I know you didn't watch too much of the game, but what's your view on the intentional knockdown yellow card? Jeez. I'd, uh, <clears throat> yeah... I was a little bit of a keyboard warrior this weekend when it, when it came to a few of these. So I, I wasn't watching it and there was like people were moaning about it. I managed to grab a clip of it. Um, and when I saw it, I was like, so the wording, I think the wording is probably the worst intentional knockdown. I think that's, I think that's probably the cuckest part of the shittest part of this law is the terminology intentional knockdown. Cause everyone's like, that's not an intentional knock on. Okay, fine. Cool. Let's get over that. Let's, we'll, use, we'll use a different terminology. The thing for me, he's gone up for the ball. He's absolutely full stretch. And he only gets fingertips on the ball. 
And that to me is vital. That to me is clear, that clearly fits within the law, whether it's called an intentional knockdown or knock on or whatever the case may be. He's gone for the ball. He wasn't in control. Same as this conversation about being in control, you've got duty of care, et cetera, et cetera. He's gone for that and he has not real, been in a realistic position to catch that ball. If he got more hand on it and he had another second bite of that cherry, I'm all for everyone moaning. But for me, it is very clear. He's gone for the intercept, absolutely gone for the intercept. I, I totally agree with that. The problem is, is that ball was just, the ball was good enough to, to be over him and he's got a finger and he's then tapped it away from, I can't remember who was on, on the wing. And so when I saw this, I thought to myself, I thought, you know, that, that I am totally okay with that yellow card. I think that's a, it's, per, it's, the, it's a penalty and it's a yellow card according to the law. And then I followed up with the, with my chat to the guys. And I just said, listen, you know, for me, it's a yellow card. The other winger, the, 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 the Englishman on, on the end of that has got acres of space. And then today I saw the highlights of the game and that was 15 meters from the trial line or 30 meters from the trial line. And there was no one there. And I couldn't understand why it wasn't a penalty try. So yes. for me, again, the officials have got it wrong. They've got it wrong. You've ruled correctly in everything and then said that there are two guys 30 meters away that can cover. The, the, the law states, is he in a realistic position to score a try? He was. He was a winger. He was advancing. He would have got the ball in his stride. He, it's not like he was from a standing start. I, I think that they've absolutely destroyed that. It's a penalty and a, it's a yellow card. It should be, it should have been a penalty try. Um, but to try and, and think that that isn't a, a yellow card because of the wording intentional knockdown, which it wasn't, but the, the intentional knockdown wording, the whole process of what he's gone to do, he wasn't able to catch it or regather it. It's illegal and it falls under the intentional knockdown laws. So you've got to get over that side of the things because that's what everyone's harping on. But the truth is, if that happens against your side, you are having kittens, man. You are having kittens because you haven't scored try there. Yeah, and same with the Marcus Smith one. Um, the first one was by Zaya Peresi. And Marcus Smith also, I think he was almost trying to withdraw his hand at the end, but you're putting your hand out, you're stopping a pass, and yeah, you're stopping an attacking play. I think maybe the, the rule should be reworded to if you pretty much stop an attacking play by not <laughs> knocking the ball backwards towards your try line or something like that. That would make it maybe more clear to people that it might not be an intentional or deliberate knockdown or knock on or whatever the, the, you want to call it. But if you're putting your hand out and you're not trying to intercept the ball, but you're trying to stop this counter-attacking play or this attacking play, then there should be some sanction to that. And I think just as a, I mean, we always complain about the lack of tries in rugby. This is literally a rule to try and promote more tries in rugby. Why is this an issue? It, I, but the thing is, is I, I thought we, I thought we were finished with this stuff already. Like when you're going, when you're going for a tackle, and 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 you're not, and and you your, so your shoulder, your shoulder is going in on the man, and your outside arm is going, you know, that wide grip, that wide swing around to kind of grab the player. But you're hoping that you get a finger on the ball to spoil it. That's it's cynical play. Like you are absolutely stopping an attacking play. 
you're stopping momentum, you're slowing the game and the attacking team down. You know, I don't understand why people are complaining about this law, especially when it's when it's like in place. And and my whole thing, and me, I'm always like, I really, I, I'm a Springbok supporter, and I want them to win a hundred nil every game. I couldn't care who we played against and what other reason. It doesn't bother me. However, if something happens and they break the law and it's ruled against the Springboks or any other side. It, it is what it is. Like if you break the law, you, you're goners. Like you, the, it's a penalty or it's a this, it's a that. Don't, don't double standards me. Like don't, don't the Wallaby supporters or, or neutrals mustn't turn around and go and say Parise's um, knockdown wasn't a foul and then uh, wasn't a, a penalty or a yellow card or a penalty try um, because he was going for the ball. And then that happens against you. And then you're all up in arms. You're like, but it's this and it's that. And like that's the weirdest part. Like I thought we were past this. Like if you make a, if you knock the ball forward going in for a tackle, it's it could be worse, but it's going to be a knock on or could be a penalty. And if you do a preset, like it's a yellow card. It's simple. It should have been a penalty try too. Yeah. No. And I think I don't know if it's a reluctance, but they weren't really keen on 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 calling the penalty try there. And I'm not I'm not sure why. Um. Just to talk about the game more, um, I think England was just irresistible in those first 20 minutes, and they did really well to stop the Australian momentum in the last 20 minutes. It was a game about almost like the first and the last quarter. So England go off on their like typical um, fast start. Um, and I think the main difference between last week and this week was now there were two things. Number one, the accuracy in the ruck. They cleaned people out. Actually, no, there's three things. Number one, the accuracy in the rack. They cleaned people out. They had they produced quick ball for Jack from Poorfleet. And look, I will admit, I thought, and I saw a little bits of him here and there, like during the season. But I was like, I mean, is this guy good enough for England? I mean, you know, you have so many of these like young um, scrum-offs in, um, in England at the moment. He's playing in Leicester Tigers. I mean, he's being rotated. Um, He's being rotated with Youngs and uh, Wigglesworth. So is he even playing that much? So I just didn't realize how quick his service was. And he was just on at the whole time. He was at every rack, like within a split second. And he just cleared that ball out so quickly. I don't think there's not too many better passes of the ball. And I think if he was a South African scrum off, I, I don't think there's a, a better, like there wouldn't be anyone that's a better pass than Jack from Borfleet just based on yesterday's game. So Eddie Jones was, and the other thing was that they were more direct. So the running lines weren't just going wide and it wasn't just a, a backdoor pass to the second fly half in order to pass wide. It was just good running angles. And you had Porter or Noel or Stewart, one of the forwards, just running directly into um, Lolisio or into Michael Hooper a few times and just trying to get some go forward ball. So the forwards from England, I'm sure Eddie Jones probably challenged them to a bare knuckle fight, but they played like monsters yesterday um, on Saturday. And you saw big performances from Itoje before he left and Courtney Laws and um, Billy Vinipola. And they really stepped up and Ellis Genja as well. And they really stepped up to it. So there was a big difference between England last week and England this week. This was the 2019 Rugby World Cup power game England that was back with a bit more variation because of um 
you know, like the the fact that they do have Marcus Smith. But I think Marcus Smith also played well within himself. Um, he didn't try to go for the magic ball or for the magic run. He was kind of a bit George Fordy, which maybe made the the double pivot work. But I think this is a good basis for England. So have aggressive, incisive running r- lines, quick service from the from the rucks, and clean those rucks, and just like bully people with your big forwards, and you'll win more Test matches than you lose. Yeah. The thing is about Marcus Smith, he's slowly going to have to start, he's slowly going to be growing into a different role to the one that he plays at Quinns uh, and, and what his what his DNA is about. Um, because you, you can't just do it at, at, at test rugby all the time like that, uh, the, way, the way he normally plays. Uh, front football, um, a loose defense, Maybe not at test at test level where you get that much. I saw such a great comment uh, this weekend. Um, it was about how Owen Farrell will will make the space. He will manipulate and make where Marcus Smith will run. He will jink. He will move, and he will wait for someone to make an error to shoot up to um, become sort of disjointed on defence, and then he will make things work. So they. One thing I will say is that they've got two 10s and a 10-12 combo when they both play together that really, really, really can can do anything that you want in terms of horses for courses. But one thing Owen Farrell did this weekend was basically give the middle finger to all the haters out there. He is vital for England's chances in the World Cup next year. He is vital as a leader and a player moving forward. He he needs to be there, and the reason why he starts all the time when when he's fit is because of what he did on Saturday and how he managed that game. Yeah, Owen Farrell's just brilliant, especially in that last twenty minutes of just managing the game. And like you said, um, Sean, the difference, and this is something Smith will still grow into. It's not saying that Smith isn't this player and will never be this player, but Owen Farrell is just that person that can create um, for the people around him. And he doesn't obviously have the pace and the like, just attacking brilliance that Marcus Smith has, but he can just create space for someone um, on, his, on the outside. Um, and yeah, I, I'm, I'm really excited to see how England goes. But the Wallabies did really well, I think, in all things considered. That middle part of the game where they came back and... and you know, they scored 17 unanswered points and got the match within five points. They really did well, especially just getting into the 22. And the Wallabies are becoming quite efficient when they get into the opposition team's 22 and they are scoring points in this test series. So that's a really good thing for them. Um, just to see that, like, if they do hold on to the ball, they can put pressure on a team and they can um, create tries with that. So they're also just, I think they can take a lot of positives from that. And I think they just have to put this one down to England just bulldozing over them um, in, in that first 20 minutes. Sean, there's a lot of entries, though, coming from this test. Um, Mario Toje and Sam Underhill are on their way back to England with concussion. Um, you have, um, on the Australian side, pretty much everyone is injured. Um, so there's a lot of injuries um, in, in, in in both teams. and. It it makes it very difficult to try and predict who's going to win the third test. Um, 
you lose Maritoja and Tom Curry, that's massive losses for England. But Australia pretty much has lost every person over two meters tall. Um, a few a few props as well, and they have some issues in fullback now too. Yes, they've also England have also lost Underhill, so they. <laughs> This this is crazy, man. And I tell you again, and I know we spoke about it in the Springbok pod beforehand, but this is why Ninova and co are blooding youngsters and getting things going after having missed 13 test matches in, in a World Cup window because of, of COVID. You, you in, a, in a space, and I know injuries are, are just part of the game. When you get to this point, you... It almost feels like Australia in Australia are scrambling to find players. I, I get it that England are struggling, and they haven't called anyone up for the loss of Underhill and Itoja, which I find very interesting. Um, but wow, we are in for for something crazy, man! Like I, I'm so looking forward to these sides being announced. I, I think they're going to wait until the absolute very end to announce the sides, just purely because it's going to be so much confusion as to so getting players in. Do they understand what's going on? Do you think they're going to fit into the role, et cetera, et cetera. We're in for this. It's basically shaping up to be probably the best, the best test on Saturday, which is a massive statement. And I'm only saying that because there's just so much we don't know because obviously uh, Ireland, the All Blacks are is a test decider, Australia, England, test decider, uh, South Africa, Wales, test decider, and Argentina, Scotland, oh, sorry, not test decider, series decider, and Argentina, Scotland too. So, yeah, but I, I don't even know what's going on. I saw someone push out a, a match date 23 that they suspect will happen, and, and um, James O'Connor was also and still on the bench, and I couldn't understand that. I'm thinking to myself, hang on a second, if you have so many injuries and a lot of them are in the backs, especially at the 15 space, like I'm like, James O'Connor starts for me. No doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, but he's barely played. And I guess that's the concern. So, yeah. So who else has played? I mean, <laughs> Everyone's injured. We saw so yeah, just playing then Fiji it's not a choice. with the Australian A team. Like, yeah, I mean, sorry. Look, I mean, we all know researchers frustrated many a Wallaby fan, but yeah, snap, it might be coming to him now. What about what? What about Hodge at twelve, Karevi at thirteen, and James O'Connor at fifteen? <sighs> yeah, I don't know. Um, I think Lenny Kital's probably back on um this week. It seemed like the, the his injury was short term, but yeah, I. I, I don't Ooh, okay. I don't know. That's like I, I that's it's a big decision that um Dave Reddy must make. And I think he kind of likes Krivia twelve because he's been supporting Lolasia with the kicking game and obviously him being able to carry up and all that sort of stuff. I think yeah, maybe Yeah, yeah. I, I'm all f- I'm, in a in a perfect world, Karevi's twelve. Yeah. But this is not a perfect world. <laughs> what are we gonna Exactly. So, do you want to then? Then you're going to go Lolasio at ten, Karevi at uh, at twelve, and then maybe James O'Connor at thirteen. Look, Sean, here's my idea. We okay. Go here's ahead. my idea. Fifteen, Taniela Tupo. Hear me out. He can carry the ball. He can bulldoze three people. <laughs> he seemed to have a personal vendetta against Marcus Smith on Saturday. He just ran over him every chance he got, and he scored and created a try. I mean, what more do you want from a fullback? 
I, I would I just I would like just a kicking option, and I haven't seen him kick enough yet. So I, I'm all for you. I just wish I'd seen more kicking during his his time at Super Rugby, <laughs> and then I would have been able to make a an educated call on that. I mean, <laughs> imagine Taniela Tupo fielding a high ball and getting 30 meters to build up a head of gas. I mean, Eddie Jones did like, the same with Ellis Gage. Remember that Imagine the two game. of them playing 15. <laughs> they, should, they should play the two of them at 15. They should have a gentleman's agreement. Cool, we're going to play our two mobile props at 15. And uh, and they'll be like, cool, shake on it, done. And then the fireworks will start, mate. <laughs> yeah, just a sidebar on that. Um, I was actually had the nice um, pleasure and privilege of being um, treated by BJ Boerter. Um, I was asking about, I just took a clip from one of the scrums and both Tupo and Genge were scrumming towards the touchline. They were so skewed. So I, I just um, um, mentioned um, BJ Boerta and I just added him on the tweet. And I was like, look, can someone just explain to me who's wrong here? Because both of them are scrumming sideways. And BJ was able to explain that it was actually the fault of Tupo, that he wasn't binding correctly and all that sort of stuff. So shout out to BJ Boerta for that. Um, but yeah, both him and Genge, I think they're, you can see they're almost like centers and props bodies because some of the scrummaging that they did on Saturday, they constantly weren't straight in their, in, in, in the scrums. But I think Genge is doing it more as a tactic, but it's a legal tactic. And Tupo's not really dealing with it well and is not try, getting his bind and all that sort of stuff. But man, you know, if you can just put scrumming aside in terms of being a prop, which is obviously, you know, their first job. But if you put scrumming aside, their impact on just them running with the ball and them just crunching people in the tackle was just amazing on Saturday. Um, Gens did have a few extras for Nick White, which I think he should have got at least a yellow card for. But they were just yes, I saw that. Yeah, but they were imposing themselves on the game. And you know with the England team that when they start being physical, they do teeter on the side of um, ill-discipline as well. The thing is, is the Wallabies at home are a different gravy. And I know England have pretty much dominated Australia recently, but look what the Wallabies did to the Springboks last year. So at home, they're starting to become a bit of a beast. And I think that's why England are doing that and just need to unsettle them. Once you unsettle them, then they're not a tight enough unit where they, where they can take the niggle and then just switch it off and then continue with their play. If you understand, I don't think as a whole coming out of where they were to where they are now, I don't think they're, they're it, like, it's still the cement hasn't properly set yet. So there's a little bit of give there. And I think that's what England are trying to exploit. They're trying to, get them into the trenches, trying to trying to get them to wobble and not focus on the task at hand and then get an upper hand and then dominate them. Because just because of the the timeline between when Australia were diabolical to where they are now dominating and playing well at home. So I think that's where England are, are trying to exploit them. But, but I mean, let's be honest here. There's no side in the world that doesn't, do a little bit of afters. I think the Australians are just doing so well. Australia stands sports doing really well to to pick it up and highlight it. Yeah, and I think what they did really well was they got Michael Hooper out of the game. And I think it's probably a, a Eddie Jones tactic, but they it seemed like they focused the afters on him. So Ellis Genge, I think it was his first carry. He ran straight into Hooper, bounced him off, 
And then he was ready with just like the pats on the head and all that sort of stuff as well. So yeah, interesting test matches to go. So let's just do little afters, eh? All the afters. <laughs> love, in the world. love a little bit of afters. <laughs> yeah, you can see. I mean, there's a clear like what line of correlation between the whooping and shouting that England and Saracens do both um, after like winning scrums and penalties and all that sort of stuff. And I can imagine if you're the opposition, it it gets under your skin. Absolutely, absolutely, Matt. So. Let's do. Let's first just do a few lines on a few other significant wins um, um, around the world. We're going to just be like almost like two lines on each. France wins against Japan, putting them as the number one team in world rugby. <clears throat> Sean, I think on the balance of things, since twenty nine or since the twenty nineteen World Cup, France have the highest win percentage. They probably deserve to be the number one team in the world right now. Uh, because it's at the expense of the Springboks, I'm going to say no. <laughs> but as a neutral, I, I think I think you have a valid point. Um, France Grand Slammed. They are, if I'm not mistaken, ten wins in a row. Yes, they played Japan yeah. twice. They were pushed hard in the second test on Saturday. But ten wins in a row, Grand Slam champions. You you would expect them to be one or two in the world, like. They've really, and they've been building. They've been gradually building. We thought they were going to grand slam in, in 2021. So, you know, they, they've been simmering for a couple of years. I think it's well-deserved and their first time ever. huh? Yeah. And they were also managed, managed to beat Japan with away with pretty much a second team. So it just shows what, um, there is a, a management and a, a yeah something. Fabian Gaultier is doing something right that maybe the Springbok coaches are just not quite connecting yet. Sean, yeah, I, I will say uh, Matthew Jalibert hasn't been doing well. <laughs> he really, really, really been struggling. So he's come back from injury. I do believe France need him cooking. I know that they got Intermark, but I think they need Jalibert in that squad and they need him on form like the form that he was on. So um, I'm sure, you know, now that uh, their test series is done, I'm pretty sure they're finished now. They don't play a third as far as I remember. Um, I think they, no, they don't. they're going to make their way back now. Everyone's, you know, everyone's going to have a, have a bit of a break. I think Japan are playing this weekend. I just can't remember against who. I think it's Uruguay. Um, uh, but I'm not 100% sure. But yeah, I, it's actually surprising because Jalibé was great in the first test. So that was a bit of a fall off from him. Uh, Japan is not playing in the sec- um, this weekend, uh, at least according to the Ultimate Rugby app. Um, other other significant wins, Georgia beat Italy. Um, that's Georgia's first win against the Tier 1 yes. nation. And of course, it starts all the inevitable conversations, but let's just focus on just a great win for Georgia. It looked like it was packed there in their stadium. Yeah, just a big occasion, a big win for them. Yeah, the unofficial uh, relegation scrap between Italy and Georgia for the Six Nations. So, um, yeah, that's that's brought a lot of interesting people out the woodwork. <laughs> Twitter's been a minefield this weekend, um, but with regards to that game after after last night's uh, after that performance last night, um, it uh, a couple of <clears throat> interesting characters reared their head and started hurling obscenities, and there was a bit of a Twitter spat on between a few guys, but. Yeah, brilliant. And I tell you, they've got some youngsters in that side that are cooking at the moment. So they are, if they, if they carry on this trajectory, forget that. If they just kind of 
stay as they are going into the World Cup. They're gonna they they will upset someone. I don't have any doubt about it. Yeah, David Ninashvili is probably high up there and one of my favorite rugby players right now, and he's just electric. Didn't he skip on the twenties? He well, did. I'm sorry, uh, maybe <laughs> he's twenty-one. I think this year. Maybe it wasn't a. Maybe it wasn't a skipping of under twenties. Maybe he missed it because they weren't under twenty games on. But I know he didn't play under twenty. Went into the test side and started dominating. Mm. I think he started his debut was when he was eighteen and was pre-COVID, if I'm not mistaken. And he didn't go to the. I mean, he didn't play uh, for Georgia in the under twenty team or something yes. like that. Yes, yes, yes. No, I do remember. If that's the guy I'm thinking of, yeah, yeah, yeah. He made his debut before he played in the twenties. <laughs> I love small nations when they do stuff like that. You wouldn't see stuff like that happening with the big boys, not often, anywhere. <laughs> yeah, but he's definitely like it's it's justified when you see the talent. Um, and then two massive um wins for rugby world cup qualification means first is you the USA just eking out a one point win against Chile in the first leg of their. Um, two-legged um, World Cup playoff. So Chile is going to go to the USA now this weekend. Um, to or actually no, late I think next month. Um, to yes. complete the tie. Or is it this no, weekend? It's no, no, I think it's this weekend. Ooh. It's um, I'm almost certain it's this weekend. Uh, and it's massive. And I tell you, no, none of us, no one really saw that happening. We expected the US to to win comfortably, but to reach out a little one point win away is going to make this next game absolutely crazy it's i i think it's almost worthwhile getting up to watch it for us who are are poor time zoned wise according to the u.s and did you see that brilliant try um i'm not sure i'm sorry i don't know the name of the chilean player but that amazing try we picked up the ball from seemed like a swamp and he just ran through the whole team Oh, hi, sorry, I was fighting my mic button. Yes, I saw it. It's flipping insane. And i tell you something, <laughs> such a good chuckle. I think all, all rugby fans look at it and go, yeah, you know, it's raining. It's like, excuse my language, shitting down with rain. It wasn't just raining. I mean, it was flipping, like going going to go swimming. Um, and you're thinking, oh, they're going to keep it tight. And this guy's run from flipping all over. Uh, he's just—it was insane. I'm gonna—I'm gonna get his name now. Um, I think, if I can find it, I think it's Rodrigo Fernandez, the fly half for Chile. Yeah, I haven't—I haven't found it yet. But yeah, it was—it was the—it was the, the fly half. But flip, eh? Like, <laughs> it's ridiculous. We'll—we'll post—we'll post it. Um, I know Jared uh, shared it. Rodrigo Fernandez. Yeah, he's run—he's—he's—he's he's, he's run from just outside his twenty-two. In in probably one of the on probably one of the heaviest fields known to man. It's basically like playing Marty's outside the Donny Craven Stadium <laughs> after a week of rain. You're you're running in in it's not even mud. You're running in clay, mate. Like it's ridiculous. And he's gone on to score. And it was a vital try. Mm. That that was a try that um, pushed them probably with. The, I think it pushed them just slightly. If they converted it, they would have been a point ahead of USA at the time. And it was after 50 minutes. So. It's flipping ridiculous. Yeah. And then another big um, big news for the Rugby World Cup is that Namibia have officially won the Rugby Africa tournament and have qualified for um, the, the, the Rugby World Cup. They beat Kenya in the final. And shout out to Alistair Kutsia, who coached Namibia in, um, to um, qualify for the World Cup again. They're officially Africa's second best team. 
And yeah, Alistair Kutia didn't have uh, he start the the start was rocky because I think they lost to Zimbabwe if I'm not mistaken um, last year. But he has definitely got things back on the road, and he's qualified for uh, he's helped Namibia qualify for the World Cup. So a big shout out um, to Alistair Kutia, the former Springbok coach. Yeah, and Namibia have qualified for their seventh World Cup in a row. Um, it was great. Uh, it was it was great seeing. Kenya's 15s like make the final. Um, I unfortunately didn't get to watch a hell of a lot of it. Um, I was trying to grab the game last night and, and I couldn't due to, uh, due to ESCOM, but, um, yeah, Kenya 15s. I know they're known for their sevens, but it's great to see their 15s stepping up and, and Namibia seventh straight world cup. How awesome is that? Yeah. That's perfect. That's amazing. And actually, yeah, good performances from Algeria as well. I see Uganda's like gone up nine places in the uh, the world rugby rankings. Um, Cote d'Ivoire had a good tournament as well. So really good for African rugby. If only they could play the tournament in Africa instead of playing it in France. But that's another matter for another day. Sean, yeah, let's do some predictions. Just <laughs> so I just had to throw that one in there. Nice. But yeah, let's, let's do go. some. Are we, are, some we going, are we going? Are we going? Are we going to shoot them, or are we going to do scores as well? Just just shooting wins and losses, right? I think let's just shoot wins and losses. Um, I I suck at <laughs> predicting scores, but um, let's start with the Mario All Black versus Ireland game. Um, tomorrow, well, we're recording this on Monday evening, so it's on Tuesday morning. So you probably will have known the results by then. So maybe let's skip that, uh, actually. So let's start with the main game, New Zealand versus I'm going Maori All Black because Ireland... I'm going Maori All Blacks just while we're at it because I think uh, Ireland are too focused elsewhere. But New Zealand, Ireland this weekend, series decider. I think the All Blacks win it, but it's going to be... Within seven, I think it's going to be a tight game, and I think the All Blacks win it. I'm going to be cheeky. I'm going to say it's going to be like the 2017 Lions series. It's going to end in a draw, and there'll be a Wayne Barnes. Oh. There'll be a last-minute Wayne Barnes call that will basically seal the draw, one way or another. That's a massive shot. And after my moan go- early on about Ireland. I just, I still hope we have all our Irish listeners after this. <laughs> Shout out to our Irish um, rugby listeners <laughs> as well. But um, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I just, <laughs> and we love Johnny Sexton and Peter Omani. Please, please invite us back. Um, but yeah, I can just, I, I, I want some full chaos. But yeah, obviously, um, in terms of shaking up world rugby, an island win. I, I don't think Ian Foster gets fired, but I think it gets very close for um for the New Zealand rugby to make that decision. So yeah, I, I wouldn't mind an island win, and of course it'll be their first series win in New Zealand. So I'll leave. So you're going draw win. What do you, you got you gotta <laughs> give us a shot, yeah? Okay. No. I'm going for the island win because I did say two one to Ireland um before yeah. the series. But if it if it's a draw, I'm I'm hoping for a draw, but I'm predicting an island win. Then um let's, oh, okay. let's go Australia versus England. England. I'm gonna go the Wallabies just because uh, yo, they basically don't have yeah, England doesn't have players. Australia also doesn't have players, but at least their players are in the country. England's players are 
in 10 time zones away. So mm-hmm. I think that's going to... And remember, my missus is Australian, so I hope she doesn't listen to this. <laughs> yeah, so let's... I think that's... I think Australia's going to sneak that one. But yeah, I think that'll be an epic test match in Sydney. We've talked, of course, about the Springbok Wales game in the other podcast. Let's talk Scotland versus Argentina. We didn't really talk about this um, too much in the podcast. Um, 50th cap for Hamish Watson. He's missed his first tackle in 25 test matches. Um, Scotland's pretty much... (laughs) (laughs) Normally you miss a first tackle in 25 attempts. 25 test matches. That oak deserves like a a big plaque somewhere chiseled out of stone on the side of a mountain. I don't know. Like, how do you not miss a tackle in 25 test matches? And it's not like he's, he can hide away. I mean, he's, he's there. He's in the thick of it. Three thirty-two tackles without missing. That is insane. And he missed against Argentina in Argentina. <laughs> Crazy. He was, I, I reckon he was, I reckon he was hoping that nobody ever saw it and <laughs> he just carried on the good stuff. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I think Argentina wins. I'm not like, I, I, I must be honest. I haven't followed the series closely. I see that Mater and Nicolas Sanchez didn't play this test. I hope that's a temporary mm-hmm. thing. If they're back, Argentina wins and we're back on the good vibes with um, Michael Checker. So I'm going to go Argentina win, just also for Southern Hemisphere purposes because I've already predicted Ireland winning the Test Series. Okay, so I'm a little bit... I think this is a tough one. I'll tell you why. Because if Scotland gets some form of ascendancy in that first half, I reckon Argentina see two yellows, maybe a red, and (laughs) Scotland chance them. I reckon if Argentina uh, get a bit of a foothold, there's still going to be a yellow card or <laughs> a yellow card in the mix, but it's going to be, uh, uh, I don't know, I don't think it's going to hurt them. So I'm going to say just for complete, just chaos, I'm going to say, I'm going to say Scotland are going to be leading. There will be a red card, but Argentina win in the end. Ooh. And a red card to Argentina, I'm going to call. Ooh, that's, How's that? That's absolutely spicy. That's, I'm rolling the dice here. <laughs> I'm rolling the dice here, buddy. And then um, some, yeah, there's some very important games um, on the second tier level. So first is Georgia versus Portugal. Georgia now coming off their win against um, Italy. They surely should follow that up with a win against Portugal. Yeah, I agree. By, by 30, by 30, maybe 40. Yeah. And then Uruguay are facing Romania. I just read quickly that um, Romania wins this game in spite of playing with 14 men the whole game because they lost, a, uh, or most of the game, because they lost a player with a red card in the first quarter and they still won 30 points to 22. Yes. I know. Amazing. What a result, eh? So, yeah, you're, they're doing the second game. Let's 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 balance the books out. I think Uruguay maybe takes that win. I didn't know that Andy Robertson was coaching um, Romania. So shout out to the former England coach there. I didn't know that. I'm going with the Romania uh, one two. Yeah, and yeah, they're they're the big benefactors of Spain are just oh now that Spain are disqualified from the Rugby World Cup. And then Sean, the, <clears> honestly, <throat> the biggest match of the weekend, bigger than Springbok Wales. New Zealand, Ireland, Australia, England is the second leg of Impossible. USA versus Chile. Where does the, who, who wins yes. that? I, I, 
I know we want to see a good contest. Um, I got, I mean, we've got Gary Gold coaching the US. We've got a quite a few South Africans involved, and and Marcy, uh, Marcel Bracky, made to mind. So I will not go against the US. However, I will say I do think that the US at home, and I think Chile would have probably overextended themselves um, in that first test. I think the USA win by about fifteen. Yeah, I my head says the same, and of course I want. Shout out to Marcel Brachi. Sorry, shout out to Guy Gold and the other South Africans. So I'm I would be happy, of course, with the USA win. But yo, the the story of Chile wins. I, I would love if they could somehow sneak a win here. So I'm happy either way. Mm. So so the, so the South Africans that played, I was I was just trying to think now, but it was Ruben de Haas, Saracens and, and South African ex cheater, Hanko Hamases, uh, Marcel Brachi. I know Marcy, uh, Marcy, I know he was born in LA, but he's schooled here. He's a Sappers abroad. And then obviously Gary Gold. Yeah. So, so you, you reckon you're going to take it, but you just want to see a good game. I, 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 w- I would love it if Chile wins because obviously that would be, be their first World Cup. Um, but yeah, uh, just like Alistair Kutsia winning um, for Namibia, it would be great for Gary Gold to win for the USA. So yeah, that is pretty much every rugby game in the world of rugby that has been covered now. And yeah, we are... I'm so glad we got to cover all these others. Yeah, We very seldom cover everything and uh, it's great that we, we finally get to do it. But we had to split it in two parts, but at least we gave the other voice a lot. Yeah. And yeah, actually to, the, to our listeners as well, please let us know if you prefer the two-part um, system if you want one super two hour pod or if you want us to eat strepsils and drink water in between our pods but whatever works for you guys we'd love to hear feedback but it'll be it's good to be able to cover these um you know other matches tier two countries see the storylines happening there you know we're going to add and um, there's going to be the women's world cup happening pretty soon so there's going to be so many things happening um so we need to be able to have the space to to discuss all these things but Sean, thank you so much for um, for your contributions. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I think we are looking forward to an exciting weekend of rugby now. Yes, thank you, my man. And thanks to all the listeners. Uh, it was great chatting raggers again and looking forward to the weekend. Yes, and please, um, to, our fellow, to our faithful Rugby Bits Dirt Trackers, please um, subscribe to the Rugby Bits podcast. Please share it um, with your friends all over. Um, please also... Support um, the the right um, bed.co.za um, and and their and their offerings and 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 go into their markets for for these test matches and we will see you in the next pod um, during the course of the week. Bye bye. <laughs>